0: Support for Innovation Hub comes from Cambridge Savings Bank. Introducing the CSB1 package, a checking account combined with investing through ConnectInvest to help you build a better tomorrow. CambridgeSavings.com slash CSB1. Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. In 2004, there was a big chess tournament in Reykjavik, and the best player in the world, Gary Kasparov, was slated to play a 13-year-old, except that Kasparov didn't show up to the match. The kid he was supposed to play, Magnus Carlsen, waited, he got something to drink, other people's matches were starting all around him, and then finally Kasparov showed up. When he did, he was 100% laser focused. He put his head in his hands, he looked really intently at the board, and Carlsen focused too, mostly. He also wandered around the room sometimes while he was waiting for Kasparov to make his next move. He may not have known it when he was getting up, But what Carlson was doing was supercharging his brain. And by the way, he played Kasparov to a draw. Barbara Oakley talks about the advantages of losing concentration and a whole bunch of other strategies to retrain your brain in A Mind for Numbers, How to Excel at Math and Science. She's a professor of engineering at Oakland University in Michigan. And she also happens to teach one of the most popular online courses in the world on learning how to learn. Barbara, it's great to have you here. Oh, it's a pleasure
1: to be here, Kara.
0: So you are an engineer now, as I just said, um, but as a kid, you didn't like math.
1: Why didn't you like it? I loathed it. It was, was, I'm embarrassed to say this now, it's so ironic, but I basically flunked my way through elementary, middle, and high school math and science. I mean, I was one of those kids who just doesn't get math, and I I just knew that that wasn't something I could do in my career, and uh, that was totally wrong, as I eventually found out. (laughs) Uh, uh, So now I'm a professor of engineering.
0: (laughs) Well, so interestingly, unlike many of the people who who say to themselves, yeah, I'm just not a math person, that's not my thing— that clearly somewhere uh turned around for you, uh, so when did when did that change
1: well i i I thought, since I can't do math and science, I would love to learn another language, and I grew up in a resolutely monolingual household. You can guess what language I spoke but <laughs> i I enlisted in the army because that was a way I could learn language and actually get paid for it. And I did learn a language. I picked Russian sort of uh, on a whim. And then I found out that here I was, 26 years old, about to get out of the military. And guess what? (laughs) There's not much demand for people whose sole career expertise is the ability to speak Russian. So that's when I figured, you know, maybe it would be a good idea to see if I can open my mind, since I like to experience new things, And see if I can learn math and science. And it wasn't easy. What made you
0: motivated enough? I mean, because there's lots of other things. You could have said, well, I'm going to, you know, uh, try to be a copy editor at a newspaper. Like, there's lots of other things you could do without ever sort of opening the math and science textbooks. What made you think, no, I'm like, I'm really going to try to do this even though my track record doesn't look good at all?
1: I think it was the fact that when I was in the military, I worked with all these West Point engineers. And what I saw was these individuals had these problem-solving skills that were pretty cool. And at first I thought, oh, it's just because they're super smart, naturally, and I'm not just not that way. But then I began to realize, wait a minute, no, it's their training. And that training is actually something that anybody can get. And I think the real key for my long-term success was, I just sucked it all up and went back to the bottom. I went back to remedial high school algebra and started there and slowly worked my way back up. I didn't try to jump too far ahead. And that was a big uh, big part of the success, I think.
0: What did you do Uh, differently that second time in terms of, like, that second time here you are, mid-20s, post-learning Russian, trying to learn math again. What did you do differently that second time than what you had done in elementary school that really worked, that made things stick in your mind, that made things make sense with each other?
1: It was the fact that I had learned another language, oddly enough. I learned how to practice and repeat and get some kind of procedural fluency. You know, you practice enough with verb conjugations and they make sense and they come naturally. And so when I started applying those same ways of learning with language to learning math and science, it actually worked great. I just, I would pick a problem and then I'd see if I could work it cold and I often couldn't. And so I'd try again and I'd get so I could look at a problem, and solve it almost like playing a song in my mind. And that, as it turns out, is a very good way neuroscientifically to gain expertise in virtually any subject.
0: So do you subscribe to the idea that I think a lot of people have, which is that there's kind of a left-brain-right-brain divide, and you've got left-brain people and right-brain people, and some people are just better suited to learning languages and reading literature, and some people are really just better suited to, you know, being in a chemistry lab.
1: I I don't subscribe to that at all. I do think that there are some things that we naturally can feel like we're better at and and that we are better at. But because we're better at it, we practice at it more, and then we get better at it. And so we kind of fall into this pathway of I'm only good at this particular topic as opposed to another one. And the reality is, though, that my personal belief is if you aren't so easy with learning in math and science and you kind of push yourself and you start learning those, you're actually using sort of different neural circuitry than the typical person who's super good at it. And because you're using different neural circuitry, you can actually learn it more deeply and more creatively. So I I think of it sometimes like this. Sometimes we think, huh, there's these superstar race car brains. They learn so quickly. I'm just a hiker. I mean, I can get there, but I'm so slow. But the hiker has a completely different experience. They can reach out. They can touch the leaves. They can see the little rabbit paths. They can smell the pine in the air. And in many ways, it's far richer and deeper.
0: Yeah, and you might be able to see... Problems or issues that the other person just sped right by because they understood it too well.
1: Exactly right. In fact, mm. Nobel Prize winner Santiago Ramoni Cajal used to say one of the biggest problems with the many geniuses that he worked with, geniuses who, unlike him, did not win the Nobel Prize, was that they would <laughs> jump to conclusions and then they couldn't switch their mind. They weren't used to being wrong, and so they were inflexible. So slower but more careful learning can often get you places where even the geniuses can't go. I'm
0: Karen Miller, you're listening to Innovation Hub. I'm talking with Barbara Oakley, author of A Mind for Numbers. She's also a professor of engineering at Oakland University. Um, you write about the difference between focusing intently, which is how most of us think about learning, like you, you've got that math textbook, you open it up, and you sit down, and you really think about a problem, and you either do well with it or you don't. Um, but but there's, there's sort of, there's a difference between that and not focusing intently. And actually, I didn't realize this, but both of them are very important.
1: That's a great point. When you focus intently, it's sort of like having an excavator that, that digs in and gets everything put into the, that big front loader part. But when you take a little time afterwards and just relax and not think about anything in particular or change your focus of attention, that allows that excavator to turn around, sort of mentally speaking in your brain, and consolidate to kind of restructure and organize the material in your brain. And you're comp- you're not aware of this at all, but it's a very important step in the learning process. So it's kind of like... We often think, oh, I'm only learning when I'm focusing. But when you take those little breaks, that's when the learning continues. It's sort of like a uh, you put a roast in the oven, you take it out, it continues to cook some.
0: Well, and, uh, you know, this is not uh, something that's new to smart people. Um, Thomas Edison took naps. Carl Sandburg took walks. So people seem to have known for a while uh, people who had these kind of effective strategies for moving themselves forward in their professions, that they needed kind of time off that wasn't 100% time off. Like their brain was still doing some marinating somehow.
1: That's right. In fact, what Thomas Edison used to do was he would sometimes sit in a chair with ball bearings in his hand. And he relax, relax away, just kind of vaguely cogitating on a problem, a technological problem that he had. And he'd relax and relax. And just as he'd relax so much, at least according to legend, that he'd fall asleep, the ball bearings would fall from his hands, the clatter would wake him up, and he'd take those ideas from that relaxed thinking back into the focus mode where he could refine and analyze them.
0: And that was the idea. He was trying to, it was like a little alarm clock he had going on.
1: Exactly right. In fact, Salvador Dali (laughs) used to do the same thing. He used keys in his hand to think about his art.
0: Are there good kinds of procrastination and bad? Because, you know, you talked about Edison uh, resting, uh, you know, Carl Sandburg took walks. Those are all things where you're not, really focusing on something else. I mean, they weren't watching television, they weren't playing video games, but maybe those are also good things. I wonder, are there differences between different kinds of things you can do if you want to take a couple of hours off?
1: If you're trying to let let ideas marinate as you're starting to learn something new or you're trying to understand a difficult concept. So creativity expert Howard Gruber has alluded to the idea that creativity happens in three common circumstances. Sort of the bed, the bath, and when you're on the bus, right? So these are often uh, circumstances where you're, you're just kind of chilling out. You're not thinking about anything in particular. And I think that's the important time when you can do this consolidation. And so you're you pr- front-loaded, preloaded these ideas in your brain, and then you can kind of work in the background. But I have to bring up, uh, I think, something that's a uh, very interesting point. And that is, I once had a student come up to me, and he had flunked the test. He'd done terribly, and he holds it up in front of me, and he's got all these red marks, and he says... I just don't understand how I could have flunked this test. I understood it when you said it in class. And the problem is we've gotten so overboard on the idea that that the only important part of learning is understanding that we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. We haven't emphasized that. Along with that understanding, it's really important to practice with those ideas, to repeat those ideas, Mm -hmm. so that they become a part of us. And that's an important part of the learning process Mm -hmm. as well.
0: Well, in some ways, I I feel like that speaks to the issue of, um, you know, rote and repetition, which in some ways, at least in America, we've kind of pushed away from. That's sort of an old school way of doing things. Um, But it sounds like there's a place for rote and repetition, even in deeply understanding things.
1: Absolutely. In fact, Anders Ericsson, who is sort of the world-renowned expert on being an expert, talks about the vital importance of mental representations, that is, these sort of neural patterns that all experts develop. And what you can do is, once you've got these patterns down, you can quickly draw them to mind from... One from the far reaches of your brain, another from another far reach. Put them together and be creative with them. But if you're thinking, well, you know, you can always look it up. Google's always there. These ideas are not going to be in the far reaches of your brain in order to make those connections. So you just can't be as creative.
0: It's interesting also back to what you said before about um, thinking of things in the bath, in the bed, and on the bus it happened i actually have a piece of paper next to my bed because it is so annoying and this happens to me all the time i will like get into bed and there's like you know 5 minutes of silence and i'll realize oh my gosh these are three things i really have to get on like i really have to do these things and for some reason i was awake all day and it really never occurred to me that i really needed to do those things and so I have to keep a piece of paper there or else I'll have to go into the other room and get the paper. But just somehow just that five minutes of silence allows you to think things that you, ha- that you should have been thinking there- during the day, but you just for some reason weren't.
1: That's, that happens to me as well. You, you know, one thing <laughs> that really makes me laugh is I'll be sitting there and I'll be working so hard that I, I forget to go to the bathroom and then all of a sudden i have to go to the bathroom so i run over to go to the bathroom and i'm like i'm i'm like oh i, I really don't want to stop what i'm doing but that one break actually i'm like wait a minute i should be doing this it it gives me a little <laughs> bit of pause it, it it turns into something that's valuable in ways i never anticipated
0: you know, we talked at the beginning about um, how you originally went through school and thought, "I'm just not a math person. This is totally not for me. Uh, but that that obviously changed, and then you're a professor of engineering now. Um, so there's a lot of people in that camp who would say, yeah, I'm not a math person. I'm not a science person. Things totally fell apart when I was taking those courses. If people better understood, the principles of math and science, if like many more Americans could sort of get over that hump and really start to learn some of that stuff, how do you think it would change our society?
1: I think that we would be, that it would be a, a boon for society, that it would be some, that we'd be much less likely to fall into sort of passionate uh, appeals to emotion that actually don't make rational sense when you really look at them. And that's, that would be a, a great boon for society just to have and even we found through studies that the simple ability to know enough math to understand mortgage payments and the idea behind them mm-hmm. means that you are far less likely to default on your mortgage. So we often think, oh, I can get by just fine without any math skills. But that's really not true. Uh, it, you, it has all sorts of little subtle influences on the way you think. Sometimes people will say, well, what, what's the purpose of learning math and so forth? Uh, I'll never use it. And I remember I said that to my eighth grade dean of students when I got in trouble for reading in math class. but. <laughs> <laughs> but it's sort of like um saying why do i ever work out on that nautilus set at the gym i will never walk out in the middle of the street and see a nautilus set and have to lift weights like that but what that nautilus set that particular exercise mechanism is doing is is building certain muscles and math in in a very real sense builds some intellectual muscles that can allow you to grapple with things that may not look directly relevant to math, Mm -hmm. but they are.
0: Barbara Oakley is a professor of engineering at Oakland University. She's also the author of A Mind for Numbers, How to Excel at Math and Science. Barbara, thank you so much.
1: Oh, thank you. It was a pleasure speaking with you today.
0: Facebook page. By the way, we've got a link to Barbara Oakley's free online course on learning how to learn. Support for Innovation Hub comes from Cambridge Savings Bank. Introducing the CSB1 package, a checking account combined with investing through ConnectInvest to help you build a better tomorrow cambridgesavings.com slash csb1.